Welcome to the Original Doll Podcast. I am your host, James Rodriguez Horton. On the Original Doll Podcast, I unpackage pop music with the people who helped create it. And one of the best things about the Original Doll Podcast with James Rodriguez is we give back to charity. So every time a guest comes on the show, for every question they answer, we get items donated to charity. We've been helping out homeless LGBT plus teens. We've been helping out women and families at domestic abuse shelters and families in low-income areas. So thank you all so much, and thank you to my Patreons. Uh, go ahead, join me at patreon.com slash theoriginaldow. People may say, what is that? It's a way to support this podcast to keep it free for all. It does cost money to keep this going, uh, so any bit, even a dollar a month, helps give the podcast uh, funds to stay afloat. So thank you all so much. Thank you to uh, Tyler, Rochelle, Eric, uh, Max, Rami, all of these people. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, big shout out to our friend Jenny over in the UK, Jenny's Britney Collection, uh, sending her good vibes and best of luck with what she's going through. So shout out to her. Um, and we're going to get right to that. But don't forget to follow me on Instagram, the.original.doll and on Twitter, at James Rodriguez, R-O-D-R-I-G-U-E-Z. If you don't know which account it is, it's the one that Britney Spears follows. Yes, I'll pick up that name I just dropped, uh, but go ahead, follow me there, uh, and enjoy. Uh, I want to welcome back our next guest, Paxton Guy. Paxton, thank you so much for visiting us on the Original Doll Podcast with James Rodriguez. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. It's been fun. We had a lot of great feedback about our episode talking about the release and radio release and rollout of Baby One More Time. And for those first time listeners, go ahead back and take a listen to that episode because it's really interesting. We learn about the importance of radio on especially emerging artists, things like that, how that plays a part in the success of some people. Now, for those first-time listeners, thank you so much. This is the original dial. I unpackage pop music, pop moments with people involved. Paxton is the god of radio, I will say. Paxton <laughs> is your guy that knows these numbers. Everything worked in radio for like quarter of a century at least. And so, Paxton, for the listeners, for the people that might be hearing you for the first time, tell a little bit to the listeners of the Original Doll Podcast about what you do, what that entails. Well, right now, I'm a, I'm a program director of a classic hit station um, in Southern Illinois. I've been in Southern Illinois since the early 90s. It's rare that one person gets to stay in one market and enjoy what they do and continue to make a living. So I'm one of the lucky ones who have stayed in one place and don't have a resume that's a mile long. Um, but um, I, I've always been a programmer. Um, now, depending on market size, that could also mean you're a music director, in which case you're responsible for generating the music logs for the radio station. Uh, determining what songs go in heavy rotation, medium rotation, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, it used to also mean spending hours on the phone with record label executives and concert promoters and things like that. A lot of that doesn't happen anymore. Now, I'm not in a current music format like I used to be. Um, and so that's, some of that still does happen. But um, I'm playing songs now that are 20, 30, 40 years old. So it's not like someone's out there trying to get me to play a new journey song or something like that i mean there's new journey product coming down the line and i don't know that we'll play it uh or not but uh, i've always been fascinated with music charts you know i'm the kid that's you know recording the top 40 countdown on the radio on the boom box uh back in the day 
as soon as I get my hand on a copy of Billboard or Radio and Records, I was totally into that. And that was even before I had my first radio job uh, in high school. I've worked in radio since I was 16. Um, so this is something I've always wanted to do and I've always been a nerd for it. Um, so I get a chance to be a, a radio and music nerd for a living. See, and I love that, AKA the radio God. Uh, what's great <laughs> is that you have actually, you were around before Britney's debut through now and everything. So what I wanted to do is on the original doll podcast, I like clearing up misinformation, going to the sources. So when I talk to songwriters, they tell about the stories, what songs made it, what songs didn't radio. I love learning about this. There's been this long theory by um, very avid uh, Britney Spears listeners, fans, stands, whatever they may be, where there's always been this whole thought that Britney's third album, Britney, was sidelined and it was totally banned from radio. People were using the word banned from radio that, you know, she didn't want to work with Clear Channel on a tour. So they removed her completely. She didn't get anything. Her, her, these people are like, that's why that album era was terrible in their eyes, whatever yeah. it is. Um, and so what I thought, you know what, why don't I just go to the source and radio who can actually answer these things? Not just because somebody's like, oh, this one time the FCC reported this thing and there was a whole news article and there were Congress was meeting for days and Britney Spears was there. It's like, okay, people, none of that, that some of that, like, no, this is, let's clear this all up. So Paxton, your homework assignment was, was Britney Spears banned by Clear Channel? If so, how? If not, how? So go ahead and talk about, um, without giving anything away right off the bat, uh, we kind of want to bury the lead with this. So talk a little bit about that era that you've seen, um, the discussion of, oh, it was, it was a flop era or it was disappointing uh, that a lot of people said it didn't do well and that's because of radio, like banning her. So go ahead, throw it right to you. So if you remember the era that um, What I'm a Slave for You came out, um, you know, the, the MTV Music Awards with the snake and all that, um, it was right before 9-11. Uh, and then 9-11 happened. The tour was supposed to start in late October. I don't think it actually gets underway until November because I think she was sick for a couple of days mm -hmm. there um, for the actual tour kickoff. But nonetheless, when 9-11 happened, and again, you know, Clear Channel, the largest radio group in the country, uh, at the time. So they wield a lot of power and influence over uh, what's hot on the charts uh, back then. Um, Slave got off to a little bit of a slow start. This is even before 9-11, mainly because, as you all know, it was a very different sound for Britney. Um, it didn't sound like the, the Britney that the people had gotten accustomed to over those first two albums. So when Slave comes out and then the appearance on the MTV uh, uh, video music awards it's all very jarring it's all very different it's 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 going to take a while for people to process this stuff and then 9-11 happens and everyone's world gets turned upside down and as a result whether it was movies tv shows pop culture music radio people wanted to kind of uh turn to their comfort food and britney at that particular time is kind of an artist in transition between um, okay, I'm moving towards something that's more adult and different and sonically, musically different than what she had been doing. People, If people weren't ready for that before 9-11, after 9-11, when people wanted comfort food and wanted to hang on to the familiar and a lot of new music wasn't getting put out there anyway, because really 
much as we talked about how during the holidays and after the first of the year, playlists kind of freeze a bit mm-hmm. because uh, a lot of your decision makers are on vacation or just disinterested because the holidays are going on. Um, a lot of that happened right after 9-11. Who's going to put out new music? Who's, it, wasn't, it didn't feel appropriate. There was no precedent for an event like 9-11. So no one was really sure how to navigate things after 9-11. Um, so I'm a Slave is still a new product after 9-11. And it, it was a legitimate hit. It didn't go top 10. Uh, it stalled out at 27 on Billboard. Airplay stalled out at about, I think, 16 or 17. Um, by late November. Uh, the tour is already underway uh, once you get uh, into December uh, at that point. We'll get to talking about the tour. But musically, if you, because uh, Slave and really everything off that third album uh, did fantastically well. Those singles did very well in Europe and over the rest of the world. Musically, the sounds on Britney, the songs on Britney sounded a lot more like what was on the radio in those places versus the US. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at the chart the week that Slave had peaked, the airplay chart, you see Nickelback, you see Creed, you see Mary J. Blige, you see Nelly, um, you see a lot of different genres represented. But what you see, if you go back and look at that chart, you see a lot of songs that are still getting airplay today. You see a lot of songs that were. I don't want to say deeply beloved and maybe because of 9-11 people had um, an overattachment to the songs of that era. Uh, sad to say, Slave's not one of those songs for any mm. different number uh, of reasons. So if you want to point out that there was some kind of backlash against Britney based on Slave stalling out, it's not the strongest case. There were a lot of Clear Channel stations, ours among them that were on Slave, but at least on our station, it never got higher than a medium. The songs that were higher up in rotation while Slave was active tended to be more pure pop. These are the what Britney used to do and used to represent the lane Britney used to be in prior Mm -hmm. to this album. Uh, And hip hop and R&B had a very strong influence uh, on the charts uh, back then. Um, Now, you can look at different clear channel stations. It seems there were three different kinds of Uh, Clear Channel Top 40s that were operating there late 2001, early 2002. The Kiss station that we ran uh, was very rhythmic, uh, very influenced by hip hop and R&B. The pop was in there for flavor, but the dominant genre of our Top 40 version of Kiss at that time was the hip hop R&B rhythmic element. Uh, I'm a Slave was rhythmic enough, but it kind of got lost in the shuffle with a lot of these other songs. Uh, That's not to say we didn't play it. That's not to Mm -hmm. say that we dropped it. Uh, It was in the mix, but it wasn't uh, part of the dominant genre of the format back then. Uh, And then you had, and again, you look at the two most influential top 40s, not only, well, not only in Clear Channel, but really all the top 40. You have Z100 in New York and you have Kiss in LA. Um, Both of those stations at that time were not nearly as rhythmic and hip hop and R&B influenced as our small town station was, which really we sort of took our cue off of places like uh, Kiss in Cincinnati, Kiss in Pittsburgh, even Kiss in Des Moines uh, was a much more rhythmic sounding station than say Z100 in New York or Kiss Mm -hmm. in LA were. They were more mainstream. Um, 
they gave more credence to what's considered, you know, a mainstream top 40. Uh, they adhered more to trying to get uh, an equal balance of those genres, your pop, your rock, your alternative, which was morphing more into a rock alternative at that point with some rhythmic influences. Um, so, and even, even at those stations, Britney had a hard time kind of fitting, or Slave at least, had a very hard time of fitting in that mix. And then 9-11 happened, and then things just kind of stagnated. Uh, and again, people sort of, I think, uh, were looking for musical and cultural comfort food. And at that point in Britney's career, as she's trying to evolve into a more an adult artist and really ramping up her Europop um, sound and influence, you know, and you know, the, the, the Bangla sound, I mean, you can imagine how that might have sounded to some people after 9-11. Mm-hmm. I remember getting calls at the radio station because at the time we were still playing Sting's Desert Rose as a recur. Mm-hmm. After 9-11, you can imagine some of the appalling phone calls I got from listeners that thought somehow we were, I mean, let your mind wander. Yeah. I'm not even going to go there. Yeah. But you can imagine how some people would have reacted to that. There may have been a few people that heard I'm a slave. Once they finally started hearing I'm a slave, based on that client, the climate we were in after 9-11, and just thought, this doesn't fit, and this isn't the Britney that I know and love, and I don't know. Now, a few other pieces of evidence, I think, that kind of disqualify this. Once you get into 2002, um, there are a few things that happen. Um, by February, Crossroads hits the news. Now, this is important and probably more than an important factor of this than a lot of people will realize. Um, as far as the tour is concerned, one of the big reasons that the team Britney decided to go with uh, Concerts West, who was really affiliated with AEG, Anschutz Entertainment Group, who eventually would buy Concerts West. Let me back up a little bit. Clear Channel Entertainment, the concert arm of Clear Channel, um, used to be SFX Entertainment. Uh, SFX Entertainment kind of built their concert portfolio much of the same way that Clear Channel you know, bought their radio portfolio. They went into markets and bought as much as they possibly could to get a, a kind of a grand national scale so they could be a one-stop shop uh, in many places. Uh, SFX in and of themselves was a broadcasting company. Um, they started to acquire uh, concert promoters uh, in many places. Clear Channel bought them in 2000 and changed the name to Clear Channel Entertainment. My station became a Clear Channel station in early 2001. And one of the one of the selling points that was kind of given to us, you know, it's like, you know, hey, you know, we have all these stations. We have uh, this great billboard business, Clear Channel Outdoor. Uh, it was very lucrative back then. And we just purchased SFX Entertainment. It's now Clear Channel Entertainment. So now we have this synergy potentially for concerts and concert promotions and all that. And that got us very excited because we're thinking, oh, great. We're going to give away more tickets. We're going to do concert promotions and things like that. And to be honest, that never really materialized in our market. Maybe it's because we were a smaller market, but I really don't even recall, at least back then, even in some of the bigger markets that we had counterparts in St. Louis and Chicago and Nashville, that synergy really wasn't there yet. It seemed like Clear Channel Entertainment, even though they had changed the name from SFX Entertainment, it seems like they were pretty autonomous. It seems like they did their own thing um, and still, and had working relationships with people from other radio station companies. Um, and it wasn't this, 
okay, we're going to ignore any radio station that's not Clear Channel and only work exclusively with Clear Channel. That was the thinking at the time. Um, mm-hmm. It would take quite a few years before that actual, that actual synergy um, came to be. So the mm-hmm. fact that that synergy wasn't in place in late 2001, early 2002, I would have been very surprised if someone upon high from corporate said, okay, this Britney tour is not ours. You need to be dropping her product. Um, that didn't happen. You can look at the charts and see that once you get into February and March, a lot of stations um, were still playing slave, although um, as a light or as a lunar, and by lunar, I mean, they primarily played it at night and overnight. Mm-hmm. But uh, when um, Not a Girl, Not Yet a Woman came out, um, there were stations that jumped right up on it. In fact, I want to say one of the first stations that jumped on it is a station that you know, we all thought would have been the first Britney station, XL in Orlando, <laughs> you know, they jump right on it. My Orlando and Miami really did embrace Britney in this era. Um, and, and, and those were clear channel stations. Um, at least the Orlando one was now uh, you go back and, and look at the charts there. Uh, it wasn't this, you know, okay, we got to add Britney cause it's an automatic hit. But again, going back to what slave was in the ears of many programmers and listeners, it was different. It was kind of a transition song for her as an artist. Um, I'm not a girl's ballad. It's comfort food. It's, oh, this is the Britney I know and love, you know? Mm-hmm. And as a result, I'm not a girl did a lot better up until the movie came out in February. Number two, the first weekend, but then it lost half its ticket sales the second weekend. Uh, you can say what you will about the movie. It wasn't the glitter type dud. It wasn't, you know, when Justin met Kelly, it wasn't quite that bad, but and financially, it did well. It did well yeah. in the U.S. and it did well worldwide, but it wasn't quite the trampoline that they thought it would be uh, for the music that was coming out for Britney at that time. Now, now, there's a couple other pieces of evidence that I like to point out that kind of disprove this whole Clear Channel blacklist theory. Um, and I, I pointed these out to you uh, previously. Uh, Clear Channel, at least the stations at the time in both New York and L.A., they had uh, Christmas Jingle Ball uh, concerts. Uh, Brittany would actually go on to perform at the Kiss FM in LA Jingle Ball in 2003. Um, and doing a little more digging, Brittany, while she did not perform, Brittany actually made a walk on stage appearance at Z100 in New York's Jingle Ball in 2001. So if there's a beef between Brittany and Clear Channel, she still decided to make a, not a performance, but a walk on stage appearance and a backstage appearance at New York's Jingle Ball in 2001. And whatever beef there would have been, she was fine with uh, showing up at, uh, and performing at the Jingle Ball in LA uh, in 2003. Now, Clear Channel Entertainment wielded a lot of power then. They wield even a lot more power uh, now that their own, their own company, Clear Channel spun that off. It's now Live Nation. Live Nation got in bed with Ticketmaster and all that. So, uh, you know, that whole thing became even bigger. But when, when SFX Entertainment, when they first started acquiring concert promoters around the country, there were a number of talent agents out there, namely for people like Celine Dion and Shania Twain. Those agents told their artists, Eric Clapton, I think, was another one. They told them, it's like, OK, look, don't do business with them because we're not going to come out ahead on this deal. Mm. So when it came time uh, to bid on the, uh, on the Dream of the Dream Tour, uh, they decided to go with Concerts West, who was affiliated, although not owned at the time, but eventually they would be by AEG, Anschutz Entertainment Group. There's two things that Anschutz Group had 
at the time, but Clear Channel didn't. Uh, one is indoor concert venues. Um, that whole tour in, in, in the U.S. is primarily, I, I think, almost exclusively indoor venues. Mm-hmm. Um, and shoots had them. Clear Channel Entertainment did not. Clear Channel Entertainment, at the time, it started to acquire a lot of outdoor amphitheaters. And they have even more. The company would eventually go on to acquire even more of them now. Um, due to the staging of the show, uh, this was not an outdoor amphitheater type show. It couldn't have been. Uh, if you kick it off in, in fall and winter, uh, as mm-hmm. Britney did. But by the time the summer rolled around, uh, when those shows were in amphitheaters, Britney was playing indoor venues. Many of those uh, were, were Anschutz AEG uh, venues. And the other thing AEG had that Clear Channel Entertainment did not was movie theaters. And if you're releasing a movie in February of 2002, uh, and AEG at the time had a pretty good footprint of movie theaters, particularly out west, uh, that that synergy made perfect sense. So we we have the t- we have the Britney tour. Concerts West AEG has the tour, and we have uh, some a foot in and some leverage with the movie theaters there. And I mean, Larry Rudolph says, "Hey, look, if it's nothing personal against Clear Channel, Britney's manager, Larry Rudolph, nothing personal against Clear Channel. We've worked with them before. We'll work with them again. Uh, but Concerts West AEG outbid them. Concert business is hard enough as it is." Uh, many shows break even and they consider that a success. Most of them lose money, um, mm-hmm. particularly after 9-11. There was so much uncertainty uh, in, the, in, in the country and in the world. No one knew what the impact was going to be. Um, can you imagine if as, as part of the, the trauma of 9-11 that we had suffered an attack similar to what the UK did? when Ariana Grande's concert was attacked at the Manchester arena. If you could, if that was part of the 9-11 portfolio, can you imagine back mm-hmm. then how it would affect the concert business? Mm-hmm. Um, but at, at that point, that wasn't part of the imagination of, of people in, in the concert business and in the music business. Um, had it been, things would have been a whole lot different. But that synergy um, with venues and movie theaters, it made perfect sense. Um, the fact that the movie did not do as well as people had thought, um, I don't think hurt the tour at all, at least based on the receipts and the attendance uh, figures I saw. Uh, and even with a, a lack of airplay or a perceived lack of airplay, didn't seem to hurt the tour at all. Because at that point, Britney is a known commodity with three albums under her belt. Um, and another piece of evidence, which I shared with you earlier, is the fact that Clear Channel stations, while they were still playing her, also had interviews with her on a regular basis. Uh, I went back and looked on the old internet Wayback machine and pulled up Kiss FM and LA's website from June of 2002. Uh, the first week of 2002, Brittany was scheduled to play two concerts at Staples Center as part of that tour. Staples Center owned and operated by AEG um, as uh, part of that tour. Um, and yet uh, Jojo Wright, the uh, famed night guy on Kiss FM in LA, had a, a very extensive interview with Britney. She called in from New York before she flew to LA to do that show. If, if Clear Channel had blackballed or blacklisted Britney, they surely would not have allowed one of the best mm-hmm. night DJs in the country on one of the most influential Clear Channel Top 40 stations to do an interview with Britney Spears. Now, the relationship between JoJo and Britney is, uh, I, I think, legendary. 
um, and the relationship between Britney and Kiss, L, uh, Kiss FM in LA is also a matter of legend, <laughs> given what would happen on December 30th of 2004, which um, all diehard Britney fans <laughs> know what happened there. Hopping out for a quick second, um, many of the hardcore Britney fans know about this date that Paxton is referring to. Uh, for those first-time listeners that maybe aren't so sure, this is actually quite important because this is where the title of the podcast comes from. You see, on December 30th, 2004, Britney Spears made a surprise appearance at KISS FM in Los Angeles, and she ultimately debuted... Uh, prematurely, I should say, the uh, song Mona Lisa. And I'm going to be talking about that, Mona Lisa, in the next few months with a lot more fun stuff to come. Now, what had happened was Britney Spears had recorded Mona Lisa uh, with the band during the Onyx Hotel tour. She had been working on several songs. Uh, some of those we'll be talking about once again in the next couple of months. Now, the song talked about the fall of this Mona Lisa, where, you know, she was up at the top and everyone wanted to tear her down. And they called her, you know, she's unpredictable. She's, you know, all of this stuff where they're talking about ultimately, which Britney talked about behind the microphone saying, you know, the press wants to raise you up and then tear you down. And what she said was that she was hoping that the album that this was going to be on was going to be called The Original Doll. And that's where this podcast name comes from, The Original Doll Podcast with James Rodriguez. What I picked, the reason why I picked that was there is a lot of, you know, theories and thoughts behind that album. What I do know in talking to many of the songwriters and producers during that time is Britney Spears was really taking control of things happening behind the scenes of her music, her style, who she wanted to work with, who she did not want to work with. And her basically uh, being injured during Outrageous and the rest of the Onyx Hotel tour uh, being canceled it ultimately gave Britney the freedom to get behind the mic, to start writing. Uh, over many of these conversations with songwriters that you all have heard, uh, they talk about how Britney Spears was always writing songs. And in an upcoming episode about the Britney Jean album, we talk with one of her collaborators about Britney wanting to work on a song that uh, she wasn't so sure if she was allowed to. And we'll talk about that with all of that information from the source themselves. Now, the thing to remember is with the original doll, Britney Spears was going to be deciding what she was going to put on there, what she was going to do. This was going to be her fifth album. And this was a big deal because right after Baby One More Time hit off, Britney had an original recording contract. Once you have maximum crazy exposure, uh, the sales were there, you can go back in and talk about your recording contract with the hopes that for this situation, Jive was going to adjust her um, her record contract and her obligations because at the time she had a specific amount of obligations. And during this time, Jive was allowing for Britney's album, her greatest hits album that would come around around the same time, was going to be counted towards her album obligations. Now, what happened was Britney was able to get more and more bigger advances. She was able to get more and more uh, input, not 100% input because it's still behind the label. So I always thought the original Dal era was interesting because this was Britney being the most Britney. Everything changed after this, uh, and we know that. And so I think for me, I chose the original Dal podcast because I was looking to see what 
what name would go well with what we're doing behind the scenes, talking to producers, songwriters, all the packaging that goes into this. And I thought, a doll, it's a packaging. Then I thought, Britney Spears, the original doll. And so that's how the song influenced this podcast, the original doll podcast. Um, and not so long after other, you know, podcasts and things like that were uh, given similar names and everything. But I chose this specifically because I knew I was going to be talking directly to songwriters, producers and people involved in the making of these moments in music history. So enough of that. Um, I wanted to jump in and say, don't forget to follow me on Patreon, patreon.com slash the original doll. Any amount of money helps keep this podcast up, keeps these servers going. This is an independent podcast, so it's just me handling the recording, the admin stuff, everything. Server, tech, art, all of that, uh, so that we can keep giving back to the charities. Now, what I'm going to do is behind me, you'll hear a little bit of a snippet of a song that we're going to be playing more of in an upcoming episode with Maya Marie. If you listen behind you, you're actually hearing the demo for Body Ache. And that's right, this is exclusive to the Original Doll Podcast with James Rodriguez. This is the demo for Body Ache, written, co-written by Maya Marie, our guest that we have coming up on another episode of the Original Doll Podcast. Now, many people say, why did you talk over that? Well, there's many reasons. Uh, A lot of these songwriters, producers, everyone has been kind enough to offer the Original Doll Podcast with James Rodriguez exclusive content to get more ears. Because remember, the more listens we get, the more we can help out charities, the more we can help out those in need. So these collaborators, these creatives are allowing me access for that. Um, Once somebody takes it from here, uh, which they did early on, some snippet of something, then it just gets thrown on somewhere and uh, then it kind of loses the exclusive nature. And for me, it's always about protecting the artists involved because they've been kind enough to offer these exclusives to the original doll. And a shout out to Maya Marie, who on her November Patreon, you're going to be able to hear uh, more of that demo as well. And we have an upcoming episode with another songwriter from that song. So be sure to follow us and be on the lookout. But go ahead and uh, follow Maya Marie's Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash Maya Marie, uh, for more exclusive content from her as well. So I just want to say thank you. And we have episodes coming up with Maya Marie. And with Anthony Preston, we have more songwriters from the Britney era, more songwriters from some of your favorite musicians, and more Britney demos and pitches that you might not have heard before. So uh, enjoy. Follow me on Instagram, the.original.doll, and just tag people in posts that talk about the Original Doll podcast with James Rodriguez. Um, notice how many times I say this because people are like, which, which show is this? The Original Doll Podcast with James Rodriguez. So let me hop back to this with Paxton. I hope you're enjoying this and all this knowledge and history. Enjoy. But so there's a few pieces of evidence there that just do not support the fact that there was this, there was a a ban or a blacklist or anything like that. Um, The third album just wasn't a strong enough radio product for any number of reasons, 9-11 part of it, mainly because it's, she, it's, she's in transition at that point. It wasn't the comfort food that, that radio listeners and programmers um, gravitated towards uh, after 9-11. Now, why, why was it much more successful in the rest of the world again? I think you look at the music that shows up on those playlists and it, it just fits better. Um, it sounded more Europop, it sounded more global, it sounded more globally sophisticated. 
America probably wasn't ready for that yet. Um, well, and, and that's something where I think it's interesting because I think that, you know, I've always had this discussion with people. They're like, oh, Britney wasn't played on radio. I know it for a fact she was never played during the Britney era. I was like, no, there's evidence to prove that, that your statement is not true, right? You know what I mean? It's like, no, she was played. The other thing is people forget that there is a career lifetime expectancy of pop stars that eventually they take that step and do something a little bit different than the norm and that's when others swoop in not a girl had impact somewhat because just like how you pointed out in our baby one more time episode they said hey britney is back with max martin max martin backstreet boys and sync they're going to be played on radio they're they're going to do their thing and the other thing is, I remember after September 11th, I loved the song Slave, but I was listening to Sarah McLaughlin, Angel, Jewel, Hands, Enya, Only Time, because it was not about, for me as a, a consumer of radio, it had nothing to do in my ears with, oh, we're banning her. It was like people wanted to have some unity. They wanted to hear those ballads. They wanted to have that comfort and here comes Slave at that moment, and then come October, then November, you're around the holidays again. Slave was not, you know, you're not playing Slave during your Thanksgiving or Christmas, you know, dinner. Not for for the most part, radio. You know what I mean? And you, by you that might point, in Miami. <laughs> fair, fair, fair. But the other thing too is that, like, at a certain point, radio just stops. They're like, you know what? We we tried making this work. You know, like the Mean Girls quote: "We tried stop trying to make fetch work." And there were a lot of things against it. And I remember Slave and there was the Macy Gray album that came out like the next week or it was like she wore the dress and said like my album drops like September 18th or something. People forget there were other new music that came out that nothing at that time really did well, whether it was great music or not, but people were changing what they were buying. And then they were like, you know what? How do we promote, how do we put Macy Gray on a TV show where we don't know if we're going to be able to fly there. We're going to cover 9-11. We're doing news, you know, 24-7. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, the one artist that did break through in that era, and she wasn't necessarily a new artist. She was a known commodity, but not to everyone. But when she put out her first English language album, Shakira, after 9-11, probably had the biggest spike in airplay and attention of, of any artist new or otherwise that came out during that stretch um which is weird um i don't know i mean it could have been anybody uh but it seems weird to me that it you know that shakir would have broke through during that particular time um because you know forever whatever uh, however exotic or different or i hesitate to use the word foreign you thought slave might have sounded to some ears that was Shakira, but Shakira was mm -hmm. new. We had no, unless you were a fan of Shakira's Spanish language music, you had no preconceived notions about Shakira. Uh, mm -hmm. You did about Britney when Slave came out and it, it clashed. Um, yep. But yeah, Shakira, Shakira broke through during that period when really no one else did, which was, which I think is curious. But a lot of these things, like you said, you're self-conscious. Um, after something like 9-11 or any sort of life uh, event you don't know what you want and you, you you literally gravitate toward different things and while radio and mtv and and at the time internet what it was uh could only do so much you know people are people they know what they want and sometimes they don't know what they want 
Do you think in in looking so now looking at this now that the listeners know you know Britney was not banned you know what I mean? that that you know she was played on radio and that's something that it's receipt driven you can pull up media base and see she was played and when I looked at it I just said oh the the amount of streams and spins spin she had if you will the amount of spin she had was not that off of others that were being played at the time yeah exactly. Um, of that that new music during that time and everything and i look at and i just go every big pop star there's a point where they have an album and it just doesn't click and the other thing is if you were a fan of britney and you're a 15 16 year old when the first album comes out you're in college you know at this point you're 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 graduating from high school at this point things change and not many artists make that jump to many people not all many people from this is who I used to listen to Hillary Duff in high school. And you might not be my buddy, Tommy, shout out to him. He still listens to her and all the, all the radio Disney, may they rest in peace, the, the channel. Um, yes. But there's, there's that, there's that change in the taste. And I know I got to interview um, Joshua Schwartz who worked on several of the Britney songs he was on the set of Crossroads and the songs that he was making, they were specific. He also wrote her Christmas song, My Only Wish This Year. He talked about, there was this whole thing where they said, here's the script. We want an album that's going to be a companion to it. We want, oh, there's a Kim Cattrall number. It's this, there's the Dan Aykroyd number. But what was funny is Slave was separate of that because they were like, we want Pharrell. We want the Neptunes, I should say at the time. And that was just jarring. So then, of course, just like with Jive, hey, Slave didn't work. So let's let's throw a Max Martin. Let's throw a ballad because her career has been, you know, dance song, ballad, dance song, ballad sort of thing. Um, not each and every time, but that was it. And when I was living in London during the from the the Britney era, the, the, the end of the era leading into In the Zone, I remember I was like, wait, this song is a single here, but it's not back home. Wait, well, they have videos here that are not back home? To well, me, case, it was surprise. <laughs> case, case in point, UK programmers, if you were listening to, say, Capital Radio mm-hmm. um, in London or BBC Radio 1, they had a single of Overprotected. US radio programmers had a 12-inch of Overprotected. It was not even a single. Now, it got some airplay in spite of that. Mm-hmm. And they remixed Overpro- it, the American one. Overprotected was released in the US as a 12-inch. So... You know, again, maybe they shot themselves in the foot on that. But there it is, uh, right here. <laughs> but in the UK uh, and and all these other countries, it, it was it was a bona fide single. And again, musically and sonically, it fit in with everything else that's that's going on uh, in those countries. And if you were you know if you were in London uh, during that period of time, you, you know good and well um, you could you could play that next to an S Club Seven song, and people in London get it. Um, yep. You could play that next to Blue, and they get it, and it fits. You play it next to Nickelback, you play it next to Creed, you play it next to Sarah McLaughlin, you play it next mm-hmm. to uh, a version of Incubus's uh, drive interspersed with clips of first responders on 9-11. Does that fit there? I, I mean, put, put yourself in the shoes of a radio programmer post 9-11, you know, playing any song and wondering, man, is, is, am I reading the room right on this? Um, Slave was, uh, while it was a seismic song and an important song 
really challenged a lot of people's ears, whether they're radio programmers, whether they were fans, whether they were just casual pop fans. Now, uh, I say that sonically, uh, Slave was different and jarring for some people. It's not that much sonically jarring or different than Toxic was. So a year later, when Britney shows up at the Kiss FM and LA Jingle Ball, um, her three songs, well, she leaves with me against the music because obviously that was more, while that wasn't a huge radio single, that was more of an event. You know, the whole the whole Britney-Madonna collaboration, mm-hmm. that was a, a, a well-manufactured media event. Um, but the third song she performed is Toxic. And within two, two weeks of that appearance, Toxic takes off and it reignites the fuse. Musically, it's as challenging and as bold and as different um, as Slave was, but it's one year later, things change. <laughs> yeah, well, and that's why I think it's it's interesting and been able to talk to these different people. And and I always say it takes a village because as, as those in radio, you're like, okay, there's an event or you can tell when it's like the label's really pushing something or they're like, you know what? We have something coming in, just, just be prepared. That I think that there's that excitement and I remember for a while in Chicago growing up, B96 would, I feel like oftentimes would get like the world premiere of uh, Mariah Carey's Dream Lover, the world premiere of, and Mariah would be there and she would be talking about it. And so then of course that was played nonstop on B96. And it's like these, you know, that song debuts at number one, you know, but different, different um, Mariah songs. But I think the thing for me and I know a lot of the people that have talked about radio is they said, you know, it's crazy to think like Toxic itself was not a number one billboard hit for Britney. It was not, you know, but Toxic was the first and only Grammy Britney ever got, you know, and she was nominated for like best pop vocal for Overprotected from the Britney album. There was a lot that went well with that album. And it was funny because Critically, the Britney album received more raves from critics and and awards, things like that, than the previous two albums. And I think that's the point where it's like, you know you're making good music when the general public is like, I'm not quite sure. But don't forget, to your point, Shakira, you played Shakira on the radio. Yeah, Britney could have been great next, but a lot of times radio won't play woman back to woman back to woman. So it's yeah. like Shakira would have been that easy segue, but like, just kidding, we can't. So uh, can we put in, <laughs> you know, a, a replay of eagle-eyed cherry like from three <laughs> years before? Um, I love that you of all people can get these references when I say like eagle-eyed cherry or Imani Coppola or something. Oh, um, I love that song. <laughs> but, that, uh, Legend of a Cowgirl was big in St. Louis and nowhere else. So in our neck of the woods, it was it was a regional hit. Um, and I, I, remember, I mean, I spun it a bunch of times and on our KISS station and our regional programmers like, that what? That's stiff? You know, I'm like, you know, like, hey, they're banging it in St. Louis. I mean, can people, people, we get requests for it. People love that song. Uh, it's I so good. That song. Well, and I referenced that in, now it's going to be, this was an episode I recorded, uh, it feels like months back now, about Britney Spears' song Brave New Girl on the In The Zone album. And I said, it reminds me so much of Imani Coppola and Josh, the songwriter is like, legend of a cowgirl. Like <laughs> he knew it right. <laughs> so there's a core group of us that like right away, I like, I love that song that kind of speak fast rap thing. 
But I think what's been interesting is, and you've been a great resource for me because listeners, I have messaged Paxton, like it seemed like <laughs> questionable DMs, like you up. <laughs> and, I'm just like, and it's more like, yeah. followed by, oh, by yeah. I was like, followed <laughs> yeah, by I'm question. looking at media base now, what's up? <laughs> yeah. um, but, but I think it's fascinating because I think that the reason why I love the original Dial podcast is I'm able to talk about these things and you can take this example of like the Britney thing and you can talk about any other artists. You can plug in Debbie Gibson, Natalie Imbruglia, Joss Stone. You can plug in these people and go, okay, there's a point where radio starts declining for them for a number of reasons. You know, Macy Gray was riding high on everything. That album came out and then it was like, she's not doing a lot of these touring things. She's not doing, a lot of places started pulling money back. And so I'm glad that we were able to clear this up with the whole was Britney banned, which she, she was never played because there's a lot of people that are like my cousin's uncle's car washer, you know, <laughs> lint roller, Pokemon catcher told me one time, you know, that it, Britney was never allowed to be played. And there was this email sent out where you're like, you would get fired if you played her. Um, what a great way to be like, I hate my job. Hey everyone, this is the new song, Britney Spears. It's called Bad Apple coming soon. You know, it's just ridiculous. Um, but so two last parts is how would, you know, somebody who is an independent artist self-publish it, how, how would they even get to pitch or even just send something to, is that something where somebody could be like, hey, here's myself, like, do you know what I mean? Or is it, you have to go through like a PRO sort of thing? Like how would nowadays in the world in which, you know, women and, and people of color aren't getting the same chances as many people in different levels. How would they even break into radio? How would they even get the ability to say, hey, can you check this out? Well, it depends on, I mean, if you're sending, if you're sending product to someone that really has no real influence outside their own building or their own market, uh, I mean, you can still do that times however many markets you're sending it to, but that's the old way of doing things. Um, the stuff that shows up on our radar is the stuff that, you know, because we get emails that say, you know, hey, this has, you know, so many views on on YouTube. This has, you know, so many likes on TikTok. You know, we put it on this post and it went through the roof. This song, a snippet of the song popped up in this show the other night that you might have streamed. And this is how many people watch that. And if you, you know, look at this hashtag, here's a bunch of people freaking out about this song um those stories come to us um third party really um so going directly to the source unless you're confident that that person you know has the ear of somebody at netflix who's looking for artists and music for future projects or something like that or if you know someone who is a, a super uh tiktok influencer or a big insta influencer that you know as soon as they put that song on their page or on their profile, it, uh, it, it skyrockets. Um, you know, going directly to the decision makers um, is, is, hasn't been a sure bet for a long time and definitely isn't a sure bet now unless they wield a lot of power. Because everything, you, know, you look at Clear Channel, one of the things that Clear Channel did both on the radio end and the entertainment end and the concert end and even with SFX before that, before they bought it, um, they wanted to be the only game in town. They wanted to be the only face across the table uh, in the market. Uh, so again, you know, when uh, 
when Clear Channel Entertainment is outbid, you know, for the for the Britney tour, uh, it, while they would have loved to have had it in a business where at the time the margins weren't as certain, um, mm-hmm. I guess it's better to underbid and lose than to overbid and fail. Um, and that's, that's still the case for, for a, a lot of people in a lot of different, uh, a lot of different industries there. Um, but, you know, in, in other markets, you know, if you wanted to, let's, let's say you wanted to have a show in Detroit, there's only one person you can go to. You know, if you wanted to do it in Philadelphia, there might be some small timer, but they wouldn't do it as big or as bad as, you know, um, you know as Clear Channel Entertainment or Live Nation now uh, would. Um, so... The decision makers, the number of decision makers have shrunk. The power they wield is significantly and exponentially larger uh, than it was. But don't mistake uh, a single radio programmer in a big market even, uh, unless there are very specific markets that have um, control and influence over a bunch of different markets. Um, You got to do your homework to find out uh, who really can make something take off. Um, every once in a while, you will find it's rare. It's, it's a black swan. Every once in a while, you'll find uh, a story where one station and one programmer took a chance on something. And then like, like anything else that goes viral, it just does, um, despite the odds and all that. But that's, that's not the way to go about it. So do your homework, find out who the people who really have the influence and power are and use those tools that you didn't have in 2001, you didn't have in 1998, <laughs> um, be the amazing content creator that you are and put that sauce on it and uh, and you can bowl somebody over. There you go. Paxton, thank you so much for joining me today on the Original Doll Podcast and clearing up some of this misinformation. So that quick answer, quick question answer is, was Britney Spears banned by Clear Channel? No, she was not. Um, if anything... Um, she was embraced, but misunderstood at that time, but it would all be cleared up in a year. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Well, Paxton, thank you so much. And the listeners, we will be back soon. See you on the flip side. The original.